Hi guys, um, welcome to our London Film Festival special episode. Um, in this episode we're going to be reviewing the films that we saw over the two week period, the virtual festival, uh, which was a great opportunity for us to stay at home because obviously there's a pandemic, but also be able to watch a lot more films that we probably wouldn't have been able to. So in this episode we're covering Lovers Rock, Ammonite, One Night in Miami, Kajillionaire, Mangrove, Farewell, a more mogul mowgli honeymood and african apocalypse so stay tuned hi guys so we were at the virtual london film festival this year um and i can say it was probably a really i was gonna say like one of the best festivals that i've been to but i haven't been to many so um i just think um this year obviously due to the global pandemic um and you know social distancing we've had to the bfi lff have had to readjust how they do things and i think a virtual screening was probably one of the best ways to do this, um, people were able to view probably more films than they would have in a physical sense, with um, people not having to um, not having to queue up for hours to attend a film, um, and not having to travel from one end of London to another to go from different screenings, um, all within the comfort of your own home, on a laptop, on your TV and you know watch a film grab a snack and you don't have to worry about anybody else talking through the movie because you're in the comfort of your own home in your pajamas it was fantastic i enjoyed it i'd love to do it again thank you guys it was brilliant um annoyingly just due to um work conflicts i weren't able to watch as many films as i would have liked to i literally had a list of like i don't know maybe like 20 films and again because of um the ease of having to watch the films at home I just thought I'd be able to get through them all but um with you know a full-time job um that wasn't quite what I was able to do unfortunately so I didn't have time um I couldn't get around to watch Supernova, Industry, Cicada, Soul, I missed Soul and I'm so mad, Never Gonna Snow Again that was one that I was really looking forward to, One Man in His Shoes, um, I'm going to try and make that one happen somehow because it looks like a fantastic documentary and I want to support as many black filmmakers as I can. So um, shout out to Yomi. Um, I'm definitely going to make that one happen. Anyway, so let's move on to the films that we did see at um, London Film Festival. So my first screening kicked off with Honey Mood um, from director... Tala Levy, um, I hope I pronounced that correctly, um, and I honestly thought it was hilarious. This is probably one of my favourite films of the festival. Actually, do you know what? All the films that I watched, I enjoyed really well, but this was one of the ones that I really enjoyed, and I think because it kicked off the festival so well on such a high note for me, um, it was a great way for me to sort of like enjoy the rest of the festival and it just, you know, it put it right up there for me. So the um, plot behind Honey Mood is um, a bride and groom. So also to say that this is um, a foreign film, it's in um, Israeli um, and um, it's basically about a couple 
um, who are just married, so a bride and groom who are just married, um, and they are, we basically watch their first night together as husband and wife. So it's literally as the groom walks into their honeymoon suite in a fancy hotel, um, and like the opening sequences of them sort of like walking in and they're, you know, they're just like, wow, I can't believe that we're just married and this is the greatest time of our life. And it's just like, they have to, and but then the bride is like, hang on a second, you're supposed to, you know, tradition is you're supposed to carry me over the threshold. So they go back and do it again. And it's this sequence that happens like two or three, or maybe like four or five times. And she's like, no, you, you know, you didn't do it right. Oh, we forgot this or we forgot that. And it's just, just hilarious. Just so there's something really, it's just so well done because it's not too obvious. Um, and basically whilst they're going back and forth, trying to create the perfect, I guess, intro to their, to their marriage as husband and wife, they lock themselves out of their, out of their honeymoon suite of their hotel, hotel room. Um, it's just hilarious. It's just absolutely fantastic. However, what happens through the rest of the evening is, um, the groom, discovers that he had been given a letter from his ex-girlfriend. She'd given him um, a letter as a wedding present. And in the letter, in the envelope, is a ring. And so the bride um, is like, you know, this is basically like a bad omen. We can't start our marriage with a ring from your ex. So she convinces her um, her new husband <laughs> to traipse across Jerusalem to give this ring back to her ex, um, to his ex, sorry, and they can't find her. So they are going up and down Jerusalem trying to find this ex-girlfriend. And, you know, obviously throughout the film, they are having arguments and disputes and they're faced with, um, you know, different challenges and self-doubt and questioning their own choices about each other. Because again, along the way, she runs into her ex-boyfriend <laughs> and, um, you know, she is questioning why she is um, getting married and why she's still attracted to her ex, who's a complete douchebag. Um, and whilst they're sort of like, trying to get this ring back and running into exes and not running into exes they also are trying to avoid like their parents and um their school and a bunch of school kids basically trying to survive their first night as a married couple and it's just I think it is just fantastic there are you know it is quite quirky quite kooky and you know there are some scenes where you're like there's you know this it would never happen in real life um and obviously not but it's just so well done um in a sense that it's none of it just makes you feel sort of like out of place and you can you know you do end up feeling something for both characters they're both pretty terrible people but perfect for each other in a way and um, you know, f from director um, Tala, um, it's just really sharp and witty. It's just, I think this is, um, this is the first film that I've seen from her, but um, I've heard that she's won many awards for her previous films. Um, you know, she's done incredibly well at festivals. Um, and so it's just a fantastic, enjoyable film. So if you are into foreign films um and you love a rom-com like I do so this is ticking all the right boxes for me um this is one that I definitely recommend it's you know a mix of you know bizarreness and wittiness but also love and humor and you know emotions 
it's a journey and it's probably a journey it's sort of like she whittles down an entire sort of like let's say like 20 year marriage into the space of maybe like 12 hours a whole evening basically um you know all the doubts and all the you know self-questioning and all of that stuff that would happen over a space of time happens in literally well the space of like you know a two-hour film or a 12-hour evening it's I recommend this. I really enjoyed this. I'm giving this um, film a solid four out of five. So please do watch it if you can. Okay, and so the next film um, we, well, I watched was Mogul Mowgli, um, which was directed by Bassam Tariq and written by Bassam and Riz Ahmed. Film also stars Riz Ahmed. Um, Now, this film was mad for me it was mad because all right I'll just do the first um let me break it down for you first so basically this film is um based on an South Indian rapper uh Riz Ahmed who is um working internationally um as a rapper so he's performing he's doing his shows working and performing in New York um and he's built a life there so um He, like, through his lyrics, he's talking about, you know, um, his Indian heritage and culture and, you know, um, it's something that resonates with sort of, like, a community and, you know, being a representative of that community and, I guess, in the industry and stuff. So he's doing quite well for himself, about to blow. He's about to make it to the big town because he's been offered this opportunity to do a tour with a huge um, artist. Um, However, he has to return home back to the UK um, to, um, you know, work and, um, I guess, catch up with his family. And so whilst he's home, he begins to see a difference. It's, it's, he kind of sees basically the difference of a community by his definition and what being a true representative of his community really actually is because there is a scene when he is back home and he's sitting with his family and his cousins eating dinner. It's, you know, his cousin calls him, um, you know, calls him out and it's just like, you know, you're doing all of this shit, but you know, no one actually calls you by your real name, you know, people call you Z, that's not your name, that's not the name that you were given, that was not your birth name, and it's kind of insulting to the culture, to the community, so it's really interesting, he also, there's also a scene where after he goes to mosque and he's prayed, he goes um, to the back of an alley, and um, he starts to smoke a zoot, so he's built up sort of like a, a wheat cigarette, um, as, <laughs> as many of you might call it, um, and he's confronted in the alley by uh, a fan who's like, hey, bro, I know you're doing a lot for the community, like, you're wicked, blah, 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 but he's a bit standoffish, like, Riz's character is a bit standoffish, he doesn't want to take a picture, he's, you know, I think he's just a bit embarrassed that he's been caught out in a situation where he might not be, you know, so willingly open to talk about or, or share with his fans or whatever, um, what happens in that scene, what happens is it's both, uh, maybe a culture shock or a reality check for Riz's character because the fan, one calls him out for using the wrong hand in where they share, where they share the zoot. So Riz's character hands, um, the cigarette with his left hand. And as a Muslim, it's just, you know, it's, 
um, it's Harami, you don't do that. Um, and so he calls him out, and it's just like, dude, you don't do that. Barista's character is just like, dude, like, we're smoking a zoo. I'm pretty sure that that's not, <laughs> that's not okay. But again, the fan corrects him, it's just like, actually, it's frowned upon, but it's not actually, you know, against our religion. And so, um, and what they also discover, what we also discover is that the fan actually thinks that he is a different rapper, a new up and coming rapper who is called RPG, who has face tattoos and he raps really kind of, you know, illicit, very kind of gross things that is completely against these um like morals and lyrics kind of thing and so they get into a bit of a scuffle but it's just really interesting sort of like how he's um you know faces all of these conflicts in such a short space of time that helps him realize that maybe or helps him question maybe he's not who he thinks he is and maybe he should you know think maybe just think think basically so as the film well quite early in the film as the film progresses um we discovered that z has um an illness um he has an illness and um he begins um losing mobility in his muscles so he's hospitalized and um during his time in hospital one he's defiant he absolutely feels and knows that he's going to beat this he's going to make the tour he's going to be successful he's worked super incredibly hard about all of this and so he's you know he's not going to let this illness you know um beat him his family also you know are condemning western medicine and they take his medication and his you know um recovery or you know his road to recovery in their own hands kind of thing by using their own sort of like you know eastern eastern medicine or southeastern medicine um it's just yeah there's and throughout the film there is um a lot of messaging a lot of symbolic messaging that questions his identity it is basically a film about identity and emotion um, you know, it's like, who are you? Who are you trying to be? Who are you trying to be and for whom? Are you trying to become a person for someone else? Are you representing yourself? Are you representing your community? Um, along the way, like, um, a lot of ego is bruised. It's just, you know, it, it, it's really, it's, I think it's a fantastic way that they've sort of brought these different types of messaging together because along the way is, um, you know, a bit, uh, some messaging or some key messages about, um, generational, um, generational trauma, like his father having gone through, um, you know, issues with the partition in India and Pakistan, um, which his father never speaks of, his father is not emotive, his father isn't very, you know, forthcoming, and that also seems to have had a hindrance in their relationship, um, there's also, you know, a link with, you know, cultural heritage, uh, was he, was he ashamed of his culture, even though this is part of the message that he's given to his audience, you know, he didn't want to identify, he didn't want to call himself by his real name, you know, he, you know, emates, um, a different type of culture to, almost give his own culture a platform it's in it's it's trying it was him just basically trying to discover himself and unfortunately he had to gain this um, he had this illness um 
which allowed him to stop and think. Um, there is this one fantastic line that literally made me howl. I had to pause it and it just, it, it, I just couldn't, I couldn't anymore. I needed to take a moment away from the screen and to just, just be like, whoa, hang on. This hit me real deep, real hard where, um, basically the line is your body can't recognize itself. So it's a technic self. And that was the line from the doctor. And it's basically saying that you, you basically mentally don't know who you are anymore. So therefore that's why you're questioning everything. You, your body is attacking itself because you don't know who you are. And obviously that's not the reason why he had this uh, mobility issues because it was a hereditary thing as we figure out um, during, during the film. But it's just, it was the line that basically made the whole film that made you understand what the issue is with with z and he's himself basically it's a fantastic film it there was a lot of symbolic messaging which did confuse me in the beginning but i definitely i mean as the film went on i completely understood it and it was fun it was just brilliant and at the end where um z and his father come together and and they rap <laughs> it's a brilliant scene and Riz Ahmed again is just fantastic I think it's a brilliantly um made film I teared up I think it's they did incredibly well with this and again I'm gonna give this sort of like a three and a half four stars um I'll give it a four stars because I think it was a very strong film I don't particularly do well with symbolic films I'd rather maybe like my films a bit more maybe obvious no a bit more subtle but not so obvious but then not so subtle to a point where I don't know what the hell's going on um so it, it's a strong film and I'm gonna give this a four and a half a four a, a solid four stars we also saw um Farewell Amour um both written and directed by Ekwa Msangi um about um an Angolian immigrant family um mother and daughter who move to who fly to the US um to join um the husband the dad who had been um living and working in America for the last 15 17 years um so he'd obviously been saving money and sending it back home so now they're able to join him um in America where they believe their life will be better um however what we see and what this film shows us is the you know the reality of you know having families live apart um for for you know like two like two decades almost two decades so now they're basically complete strangers living in this tiny apartment and trying to rediscover redefine re you know like reevaluate the um i guess you know, the structure of what a family is and rebuild the love between them. Um, the mother and father um, were high school sweethearts and had been together for a while. And what I loved about, and you know, the daughter who I think didn't know the father at all growing up, she now 17. So, you know, she, you know, hasn't experienced a life with a father figure around. She had heard of this, you know, mysterious figure. 
who lives in America and is her father, but she doesn't know him as a father. So, you know, you can see this, and this is portrayed quite early in the film when they, literally within seconds, um, where they meet each other in the airport. And, you know, she kind of gives him this weird handshake and, you know, he's like, come here, give me a hug, turn around, let me see you. Like, you know, I haven't seen you maybe since you were born kind of thing. And throughout the film, um, the wife is trying to obviously redevelop this, relationship with her husband um the film is told in three parts so i'll try to be really brief about this the film's told in three parts so the father um so living and working in america on his own you know with no support system no no one else around um you know has tr tried to make a life for himself um and whilst doing that has ultimately found someone else to keep him company during that time um we see that he had um had relations with another woman and you know now that his family is coming to america or coming to live with him and be part of this family that he had promised and committed to he has to try and readjust his life back into that mindset of you know trying to provide for a bigger wider family and not just himself anymore there's a scene where um the mother says you know she's going to send a thousand dollars to a church you know her church back in um and back in um angola and he completely flips out he's just like do you know how much money that is do you know how, how long i'd have to work for that much money you can't just give it away because it's not just me anymore now it is us we have to provide as a family we have to think of the bigger picture kind of thing and um from the story from the um daughter is that she is brand new to this country that she doesn't know anything about she misses her friends um she now has to live with this strange man who she has no idea who he is um and it's trying to see her readjust into um i guess the new social settings at school you know they're calling her you know um you know the african or you know just making fun of her because she is the other and her trying to find somewhere to fit in she enjoys dancing so she tries to join a dance group or in a dance competition um and just basically trying to find any kind of way to fit in and not just be the outsider anymore um however unfortunately with her mum being super religious she's she's like absolutely not you cannot do this we don't want you sort of like falling into the wrong crowd stay home and that's it that is your life now basically and what we also see throughout the film is that the mother is quite controlling and i think her side from her side of the story is that because again she whilst being in angola by herself didn't have much of a support unit and all she had was her daughter and the church you know she was quite protective of her child and was like kind of you know it's kind of my way the highway because i am all you have and you are all i have and we have to make it work together kind of thing and it's you can see how heavily reliant she was of the church as a support unit because you know she's and she's listening to sort of like the preachings every morning while she's cleaning you know she doesn't you know this is you know she's sending thousand pounds um to the church for prayers um and what's really interesting about this is how it's so familiar as children of immigrants many of us know what that's like you know having our families move over from a completely different country and building our own lives 
from scratch or you know we have relatives who have done the same and building our lives from scratch so it's really it was quite connecting in in a sense that we know and understand exactly where this family is coming from so this was a it was I connected with this film and I understand um, aspects of this film and actually maybe even understood my own parents a bit more just based on this film and how it must have been hard for them to have done what they did really moving to a completely different country without each other and with a growing family um again i do wish that the fa um the film moved a bit quicker and wasn't so slow but again that might have been part of the messaging as in you know um i guess representing the loneliness of doing such a thing as being an immigrant in a completely new country um so yeah i enjoyed the film it is uh i'll give this a three three out of five stars it's um it's a film that i do think most people should enjoy again as like first gen second gen um children um yeah maybe check this one out and sort of see how you feel about it the next one that i saw at london film festival was african apocalypse um which is a documentary by British Nigerian student and activist Femi Nalanda and producer slash director Rob Lemkin who's done so much work for the BBC ITV on a range of documentaries. Now African Apocalypse um, follows Femi as he travels to Niger to uncover the atrocities and the awful evils that happened um to the country um during colonialism and how the country is impacted by it every single day and how um and how the country is able to identify itself i guess based on that so throughout the film um femi has a copy of um heart of darkness um from joseph conrad um the book's also based i think um, or Apocalypse Now is very loosely based on the book, back and forth. So what he's trying to do is find the real-life inspiration for the character called Kurtz from the book. Um, and what he discovers is that there is this unknown story of a French army captain called Paul Voulet, who um, went to um, Niger and basically just ripped the country to shreds completely barbarically so evil um just stripped the whole country of everything um he murdered their people he destroyed their land um just so that he could conquer this this part of the world um during when the europeans were sort of like splitting um africa to sort of like you know this quick split and grab um and so the film is a really interesting narration of that brutalism of colonialism and how um the country still is living with that and the generational curse and you know how that still how that still impacts everyone that's still living there today there are um villages um still in niger who remember this happening as in it was stories that had been passed down um for generations and they understand the evilness of i guess europeans coming into the country and just completely destroying it so it provides um 
what I actually really enjoyed about this documentary, despite the fact that it's completely harrowing and completely, it's just a really hard watch, but again, it's so informative. I loved that it was just, again, part of, you know, history that we didn't know, you know, um, yes, we know about colonialism, but again, um, a more of a generalized story and what this documentary does is that it breaks it down to sort of like one country and how that's affected and what I do think should happen is that every African country should have its own individual documentary and story about how it was colonized um and destroyed ultimately but I digress. Um, so yeah, it's so, um, what I really enjoyed about, um, African Apocalypse is that it moves into, or it tells the story of the country, um, from the people of the country and doesn't just, it's not a generic story. It's a narration of, um, what has happened to this country and told from the side, from the people again, that we don't typically hear. We hear it, we typically hear it from the side of the colonisers. And what they do is that they whitewash it and they make it sound like it was a just thing to do. Um, so it was just, it was, it's a heartbreaking watch. It's really, it's really hard to watch because you can see how the people, you know, are still mad and sad and angry about everything that's happened and why their country is the way it is. It's, it's a, it's a very informative watch. It's educational. It's interesting. And I like how they try to link, you know, parts of, you know, the character to a real life person because, you know, as we say, um, life imitates art and art imitates life. Um, it is a full circle. You know, someone did get this story um, from somewhere and, develop it into a book which also was then developed into a story which then developed into a documentary there are parts of the film that I thought were really were really strong um throughout the film there were scenes where Femi is um you know he sits down with his guides and they ask him you know um as you're hearing these stories from these elders you know um why aren't you reacting to it? Why aren't you sad? Why don't you have any feelings towards these stories? Because they're horrific. And, you know, it's interesting because it's almost like there was a blockage there for Femi. And it's almost what I think happens um, as a black person who grows up in Europe is you almost become desensitised to what's happening abroad or what's happening back home or, you know, to black people elsewhere. Some it's, it's a very, it's a very hard and complex thing to explain because obviously we all are moved when, you know, there are stories about black people who are being killed and injured and, you know, threatened, um, in African countries in America, where else, you know, across the world. But there is, um, a sense of a, a distance you know there is that barrier there um and I think it was interesting to see how the local people had reacted to these stories and what they understand their future to be compared to someone who was coming from the outside um are you Femi and hearing those stories and the reactions of both people being completely different um was incredibly incredibly interesting to me and what um was also brought up for me had said was that he was considered you know an outsider um 
even though this was a personal journey for him um, as an insider and outsider. So someone who looks like the surrounding people, he had never been in that situation before. Again, growing up in Europe where you're surrounded, you know, by non-black people, white people majority, and then going to a country in Africa, Niger, and seeing people that look just like you, but still feeling ostracized slightly, still feeling outside of that, despite despite being home it's it, it's so interesting I um I thought it was fantastic um a brilliant film I do recommend that everyone should watch um solid four star we do um also very lucky to have had um, an opportunity to have spoken to both Femi and Rob about the film and they described the film to us in a much greater detail than uh, than I have done in this review so here's our interview with both Femi and Rob Thank you both for joining me today. Um, I've watched the film and I think it's fantastic. It's incredibly powerful and very informative. A lot of information in there that I hadn't known about um, before. So thank you both for your work. Um, And just for our listeners who may not have seen the film yet, um, would you be able to explain what the documentary is about? Yeah, it's a it's a um, mission. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a docu drama, really. It kind of sits between the space between dramatic film and documentary, um, and it tries to take one specific incident of of colonial violence um, in in Niger um, as the French were delineating that territory as part of their empire, and expand it into a discussion about the wider idea of empire and and, and European colonialism um, in 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 the kind of 20th century and beyond and, and how that still plays out in people's lives today and is is still a factor in how the world is structured today how people are living today both here and there um and something that we really as a, as, as 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 a as a world need to confront anything to add to that rob i i think just as a film yeah that's a good uh, description and as a film it's like a road movie it's a it's a it's a record of a journey uh from england going to West Africa, following the trail of a French white military commander who invaded the country that's now called Niger. And unlike a lot of maybe uh, colonial histories, this guy did so much dreadful things uh, that he, that, 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 you know, he's his, his actually almost a sort of a still, as it were, still alive in the, in the minds of the people that lived there. And he, the road that uh, Femi and uh, and that we making the film follow in order to follow his trail of massacres is actually the main highway of the road of the country now. So the way in which this old history of 120 odd years ago, uh, you know, isn't remote, but actually is like really, really like kind of totally in the present tense and in the present day mm. is really, really in your face mm. in, in Niger in the way that it's, um, you know, maybe, maybe it, as in the way that it is in many, many places, but I think it particularly here, it's very, it's really striking. Yeah, you could, um, you could very clearly see that in the film, which was, um, again, I thought was really powerful. Um, what um, brought you both to this project? How did, did either one of you come up with the idea and reach out to the other person? And how did you get together to create this documentary? So I started... So, Oh, okay, you go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, Rob was Rob had already been working on this film um, when we met. I was I'd been involved in, as is mentioned in the film, 
um, the Roads Must Fall campaign in Oxford. So I've been working on, on Cecil Rhodes and other elements of colonialism. But I've also been looking into French Afrique. In the idea of French Africa, I had I had a website which had songs on about France Afrique, and um, I was doing a song about the Congo and Belgian colonialism in a open mic night mm-hmm. when um, Rob's partner was part of the audience. <laughs> so she got my website, uh, and as I assume, Rob says that he, he and her sat down and watched watched the, the the had a look at the website and saw all this stuff about France Afrique um, on 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 my site and was like, oh wow, this guy's doing looking at some of the same kind of stuff. I'm, I'm looking at, but I think my only exposure to uranium, to Niger, to Niger had been that song that had a um, line about uranium from Niger in it, whereas Rob had done all this research on, on Vule and this specific history. So we began discussing that, and then um, um, off the back of that, I mean, Rob, you can give the, the rest of the story. Uh, yeah, well, actually, I'd already been to Niger at that point, but I just was looking for a way of being able to tell the story and kind of how how to collaborate, how to find a, a collaborator and a kind of a, a um, uh, uh, you know a way of making that journey. Mm-hmm. And Femi was, uh, I think, a very was really made a big difference to 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 the film because essentially he was, you know, he is uh, he was really involved in these uh, uh, campaigns about. Um, kind of colonial statues and stuff like that that mm. was going on way back in 2016. Yeah. So this was all real, and he was really kind of engaging with this stuff at Oxford University in this kind of um, academic kind of way. Uh, but he was also, you know, very uh, interested in, uh, you know, he does do a lot of acting and all that kind of thing. So there was a kind of an overlap. It wasn't just that we would be making some kind of journey that would be. Um, uh, you know, just sort of uh, in, in investigative or something like that. It could also be performative. So it mm-hmm. has a there's a certain performance aspect mm-hmm. to this film, which I think enables it to be more of an entertainment than some kind of, um, you know, investigative horror documentary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, I, I think it does um, a bit of both, um, actually, because um, as I think it was maybe we're saying, sort of like the drama side to it as well. So, no, I just... I'm, I, sort of like was explaining it earlier I was just like this is absolutely fascinating um but um what I thought was really interesting and part of the film was when you went to um, a local school in Nigeria and the children were learning about the um colonial history um that had happened um in their villages and stuff but what I also what it made me think about was that we don't do that in the UK um you know we don't speak about these things or if we do in any particular school it's very lightly brushed over so was that an important um message that you wanted to bring to the film specifically did you go out to ensure that you had this part of the you know this part of the film um and could you talk us through a bit more about that yeah i think um yeah i mean i i i agree i mean totally we should be learning about uh, kids our kids should be learning about british imperialism and british the british empire uh, because uh, apart from everything else, it's not just history, but it's actually what creates our society now mm-hmm. here in Britain, mm-hmm. uh, exactly. and you know where where people come from and how how we are. So I mean, it's a complete delusion to say that we shouldn't be learning about it. We instead we should be learning about I don't know the the the, the Russian Revolution mm-hmm. or, or or the Tudors or something yeah. like that. You know, mm-hmm. instead of um, it's a, it's a, it's a delusion to think that that's actually more important. But I think it's also, I suppose it's so important that actually it is, still remains incredibly sensitive for people here in Britain, for mm-hmm. the, as it were, the establishments to really be kind of um, having to open up thinking about this. But events 
I think this year have boiled over into people really maybe having no choice. And I would hope that this film could be part of a push to make sure that the British Empire and empires generally are taught in a proper, thorough, mm. kind of um, balanced way. And mm. yes, okay, fair enough. If you want to say some positive things about the empire, then say those things as well. But don't say them at the expense of looking at all of the uh, the, the negative things mm-hmm. that actually, you know, uh, uh, were, were involved in not just sort of the beginning of these imperial invasions, but also what's gone on throughout that. And I think in Niger, people learn, kids learn it, because actually it's how their country is taught. But actually, those kids now are learning it in quite a critical way about Vule. But it's interesting that older people, when they did learn about it back in the 70s and stuff, actually Vule was taught as more of a positive mm. guy by the French, because it was mostly French mm-hmm. kind of teachers doing it, because he was the guy that had actually opened up the country for development. Yeah. So that's been changed. That's mm. changed recently mm. in yeah, I always say the anecdote of um, if I say to someone, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived, what would that say to you, Tolly? Henry VIII and his exactly, wives. Exactly, yeah. right? <laughs> Everyone, every school kid in the yeah. UK knows the order in which Henry VIII's that yeah. wives died. Not even that he had six wives, but the order in which this guy from 15, from from the from the this Tudor guy from the mid, from about the 1500s, I can't remember, um, mm-hmm. that, the order in which his wives died. Mm-hmm. But if I say to them Mau Mau in Kenya, if I say to them Ondaman in Sudan, if mm. I say to them Bengal famine, you get blank stares in return, yeah. right? And that's because of the importance in of our educational curriculum in shaping people's worldviews about what the history of the world is and about what is important. And we definitely need a complete overhaul of the educational Absolutely. system um, in order to teach the real history of slavery, of colonialism, and of how Britain got its wealth mm-hmm. and how Africa ended up um, so... so um, quote-unquote impoverished yeah absolutely um and um i wanted to touch on um Femi, sort of like your personal journey because um again in the film you mentioned sort of um feeling a bit like an insider outsider and um almost kind of being othered by some of the local people because when you do go to some of the local villages you know they do introduce you as you know Femi he's Nigerian but he's also English um you know but you know sort of intro you is like but highlight the English you know make sure that you mention that he's English um which I thought was really interesting because um I wanted to find out a bit more is if you thought that that was more of a way to I guess get access um because as I listen as I was watching the film there was a part of me that understood that the you know the local people didn't particularly like I suppose Europeans anymore based on the history but also using the fact that you were English as an um, point of access was a almost kind of like an interesting contrast that maybe that they still hold some sort of I guess, hierarchy to sort of like a European, someone with a European background, do you think? I don't think it's about the hierarchy. I think it's about the fact that, um, as is said in the thing, no Mm. one else has come before Mm. to ask about our history. And I think they understand implicitly Mm. the nature of these European countries and and, and the rest, that if someone is coming from England or from France to make a film, Mm. it's likely to have a, a, a global reach in some kind of way. Um, in in a way that um, someone coming from the village down mm-hmm. the road might 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 not right, and so I think that the idea that this guy is coming, I don't think it was that they still 
held Europeans in 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 reverence, mm-hmm. and that they were like, "Oh, look, the guy is coming from Europe, so he yeah. must be so clever and well educated." Mm-hmm. The rest, I think that it's 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 the same reason, part of the same reason that I suspect that they hold the grave of Voulet still to today in 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 the village mm-hmm. at the end of the film. Because they think one day maybe someone will come, and they, I think they wanted to make um, at one place that we went that isn't didn't make it to the final cut, where there was a where we met the Sarayunya, um, one of the warrior queens who supposedly fought against Fulay. Mm-hmm. Um, she they wanted to make that a UN World Heritage um, site, and they, they've been they've been they've been bidding. I think. World Heritage or UNESCO, one of the two, they've been bidding to make that because they understand that that might bring some money and interest to their, mm-hmm. their communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that that was the element uh, that you saw of of kind of oh, this guy's coming from uh, Europe. Not the not 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 that they held Europeans in more esteem. Yeah. I definitely think that throughout the film, the theme was the insider outsider um, idea of me. I think there's one line which says, "and I'm a beneficiary of yeah. I'm a beneficiary of colonialism yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a I, I, I'm a beneficiary of empire." And it's this idea of um, okay, I grew up in the UK. I have a UK passport. I can get into all these countries mm-hmm. for free. Um, I went to Oxford University. Uh, to what extent am I um, the the Marlowe? The, the kind of, not the Kurtz, not the, mm-hmm. the guy who goes, that's Voulet, but the Marlowe, the kind of European who sees himself as a as a benign force, but is still mm-hmm. in some ways an outsider coming in and hoping to tell someone else's story for them, which has been one of the main criticisms of Conrad, that it doesn't give the African its voice. And I think yeah. that if this had been a film in which the Afro-European poet from Oxford educated was giving his opinions on everything and just just not really letting people speak then we would have been repeating some of the criticisms that we see of Conrad from Echebe and the rest of mm-hmm. it's just saying everything from the European perspective it would just be the black European perspective but I think what we've managed to do is use me as a tool to um, let the actual people speak which is what we what, what is key it's fantastic. Um, and uh, one of the other areas that I thought was really interesting, again, Femi, sorry, Rob, um, was when um, you when your guides had said that you wasn't, it looks like you wasn't really emotionally connecting with some of the stories, that you wasn't um, being quite emotional to some mm-hmm. of the stories. And did you, you know, when you stopped to think about that, was that any, do you think that there was any reason behind that blockage, sort of why you wasn't sort of fully emotional to some of the, you know, atrocities that you heard about? I think part of it is because she mentioned kind of Zen-like stoicism. Mm-hmm. And I think up until that point in the journey, um, we hadn't met the schoolgirls, we hadn't met the mm-hmm. miners, we'd met people who were angry, but the, the, the we hadn't. No one had kind of broken down um, on on us in that way. Um, and it was more me this kind of stoicism uh, that that Amina refers to. It's more. It was more. What right do I have as 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 someone coming in to tell to, to help tell this story from the West to, to to make this about me and my and my kind of mm-hmm. emotional crisis and when when the very people there are angry but no one was um, really um, um, they, they they seem to be coming at it from a position of, of of relative firmness and I think later in the journey both myself and the people we met later in the journey um, were able to. Open up more emotionally, as you see with the the man who recounts the story, um, or the whole scene um, mm. around the the man who recounts the story of the Sunsua, which mm. in Hausa means bird, um, um, his mother who climbed the, the walls of of burning conic, mm. as you see with the miners, and as certainly you see with the scene um, with the, the schoolgirls. Um, so I think that throughout the film, both myself and the people, there's there's an opening of 
of of of of of that more emotive side, which is good because you need a progression in, in a film like this. You can't just kind of get to Niger from Oxford and then and then everything suddenly um, kind of reaching a pinnacle. Mm. Um, and did either of you find any difficulties with making this film? Um, any sort of like um, yeah, any issues with uh, I suppose with research and then sort of like access? Was there anything that you wanted to include that you couldn't? Um, any, any, anything in that area? I mean, it's the dangerous place to work. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the place that the road that we went down mm. in August this year, six French uh, aid workers were killed. Oh wow! Uh, on that road. Uh, so you know, and we, I, uh, and uh, the, the 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 whole area is uh, is a place that is very very difficult to to travel through. Um, and that's true whether you're uh, whether you're black or white, as long as you are actually a, 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 a somebody who is, um, you know, a, a foreigner, an international person, particularly mm. from Europe or America. So the technical detail, the technical kind of um, the demands of actually getting permission, uh, we don't really show it in the film. But every village and every town that you go to, you have to get permission from the authorities, mm. the police. They, you see these security soldiers with us mm-hmm. um, who are always hanging around. With us, I mean, I think I can't remember how many there were. I think there were twelve. They had a, a little armored personnel carrier with a rocket, rock, a rocket grenade wow. kind of gun thing. With I think you see that in the film. Uh, you know, that, that they're with us. They're all got machine guns with yeah. them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are with us all the time, uh, and uh, and setting that all up, and not just setting it up on a individual basis for our film crew, because we had a, quite a large film crew to film this as well. Not just that. But we had, uh, you know, you, we were representatives of international people coming to Niger, and the mm. Nigerian government didn't want us to be, um, as it were, you know, taken off by either Boko Haram mm-hmm. or uh, Al Qaeda, because you have these Al Qaeda up in the north part, and then Boko Haram in the east and the southern part. So, you know, the, the Nigerian government had a lot at stake as well as 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 as, mm-hmm. as well as us. Mm-hmm. So that. Technically speaking, it was very, very difficult for us to actually move. There are no guest houses in mm. in many places in Niger, so we were having to stay in special places that have been arranged. And um, the, 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 the practicalities of how to get across and make that journey was um, uh, quite formidable. Wow. Yeah, and there was there were certain things, as as as, as you asked Tolu, that, that that we there were villages we didn't go to because mm-hmm. they were too close to where. Um, active certain villages further um to the west i think than the niamey um where, where some of Vule's first massacres um happened we, we didn't get the chance to actually go there mm. um because it was just too dangerous and also we the scene with the miners ended up being a scene with miners along the road we had originally maybe envisioned actually taking a detour off and going up to agadez in the northern region um in the more tuareg deserty parts where the actual mining takes place but because of the same thing, security issues um, and, 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 and the nature of how things panned out, we ended up speaking to the miners um, who were friends of Amina's father who were on our road, who had gone up to Agadez to work and then had come back and were now living back here. And again, again, it, but again, I think that, it, it, that we included so much in the film that some of the themes that we didn't manage to include, mm-hmm. uh, such as migration um, and, 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 and the migrant route from Niger into, into Europe and... Uh, reaching out more on the modern uranium stuff and that 
we we were already having to take out stuff that we wanted to take, wanted to keep in mm-hmm. to keep this film at one and a half hours because we already have, have so many different themes of spirituality yeah. of um of of modern neo-colonialism of, of of the main thrust of the story and this voulet art which you can't kind of move too far away from mm. because this is the main thrust the kind of voulet um conrad uh, um kurtz uh, vibe and so i think that yes there's stuff that we couldn't do because of security issues and the rest mm-hmm. but even if we had done it we would have had to leave other stuff on the cutting table um as it were so i'm i'm not too too kind of um grieving about this we made the film with the nigerian government department of the uh, cinema and mm-hmm. um they were really um that's so one of the guys he was one of the co-producers of the film sunny magari mm-hmm. and he's um um very important to making the film, but obviously the relationship with the Nigerian government and the uranium mining company, for example, now is still quite uh, a bit fraught. Yeah. And, uh, you know, time will tell. I mean, here we are showing the film in Britain, but in France uh, and in Niger, it will have a different kind of sort of yeah. political resonance and impact. So I think we're, we're bracing ourselves for a certain amount of pushback, shall we say, in, in France. Of course, um, I do think it's a film that um, everyone should should watch, though, like because I think it's really important. And again, it is one of the stories that unfortunately isn't told about, um, you know, our history, everyone's history. So um, I do. Um, I think it's a fantastic film. Um, I know I'm coming down to my last um, few minutes, but I did want to ask um, um, two more questions if I can um and Femi what was it like sort of like visiting the places where um again because we don't have a lot of um like museums and historical I guess places that do house a lot of um artifacts I guess from you know slavery and um colonialism you were able to touch like the chains and you know a lot of the equipment that was used back in um back then and how what was that like because i can't usually in museums you know there's a glass box or you know there's a rope corner enough but you were able to actually physically touch these things um and do do, do you think that had an impact on you or or anything like that yeah it was strange to see how scarce it was you you go to the british museum and you see all of these huge artworks which obviously have been taken mm-hmm. um quote-unquote stolen from yeah. from, mm-hmm. um, from from the colonies back in the day in all that kind of magnificence and the rest and then you go to this this small little outhouse kind of in the middle of nowhere and obviously you it was seen with tape and we came across a few shackles chains and mm-hmm. the rest um, there's definitely a, a, a realness to it. It's not. It's not. Um, it's, 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 it's not got that element of, of, of pompous display that some museums in, in, in the Western world do. Um, and I definitely think that maybe there can be a conversation um, from that scene, um, or, or some conversations and discussion groups from that scene in general that arise as to the ideas of um, artifacts in general and these, these museums in general. And, 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 and where items that were taken need to be. I think that it's different because of the fact that these these are the very... And I, I, there was a similar scene in, 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 a, in, a, in a documentary that came out just last week with Samuel Jackson and yeah. Afro Hirsch from Slavery, where someone yeah. says, well, I'm actually touching these things. Mm. It's very, 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 um, very... It's, 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 it's very real. And I think... I think, yeah, it's um, there's there's a very there's a difference to being in direct proximity to these objects and knowing, okay, this is a shackle that was used during this 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 mission to 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 kind of um, 
keep someone in, 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 enslaved, as it were. Um, and um, yeah, there's there's a realness to that which you don't find in in, in, in Western museums. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's that might be it for for me. I do have so many more questions, but I do want to thank you both for your time and taking the moment out to speak to me um, and our listeners um, about this film. Um, again, it's incredibly powerful i sort of like got really emotional and teary obviously um but i did learn a lot again it was something that i think um was like brushed over and you know you know sort of like some information but i thought this did a fantastic job of informing a lot of people so thank you so much thank you you, that's no problem thank you and that was our episode for part one of um our london film festival reviews uh, tune in next week where we will um, review the rest of the films that we covered. Um, so, yeah, see you then. Thanks. Bye.